As a manager or a business owner, your ideal employees are not only hardworking, but also high performing. So that means while you're cultivating them within the company's standards, you should also be helping them attain more on an individual level. And they're also looking to achieve mastery as quickly as possible because they understand that that is the road to their own personal security is to be the best they can be at what they do. Hello again, I'm Tim Muma, and you're listening to Employment Notebook here on LJN Radio. The goal of this episode is to give you insight into the ways you can create and develop high performers at your organization. Joining me to offer up his experience, we have William Dan, founder and president of Professional Growth Systems. He's also the author of Creating High Performers, Seven Questions to Ask Your Direct Reports. And he will be divulging some of that information with us here today. Thank you for coming on the show today, Bill. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I found a lot of the information uh, regarding your book rather interesting, and it definitely hits on a lot of areas that we get questions about here from both sides of the table, managers and direct reports. In terms of becoming a manager, though, it's long been known and believed that people often sort of graduate to that position, mainly because they did so well at whatever their current position was, the technical side of things. Why is this often a problem if that's the main reason that somebody gets bumped up to a managerial position? Well, the problem is that the skills required to coach, mentor, and develop someone are quite different from the technical skills in a given craft. And we just kind of assume that if I'm the best at something technically, I'm going to be the best at developing skills in others. And that's a false assumption. Uh, Not only are the skills very different, but oftentimes those that have high competence in technical work aren't really interested in imparting those skills to others. They prefer to continue to do the technical work. So we end up under-supervising. Now, in your book, uh, Creating High Performers, you actually identify also two types of problems that may arise, the can't-do versus the won't-do problems. Can you describe for the listeners the difference between the two as well as what a manager should do in either case should it come up? Well, a can't-do problem is one that is the responsibility of the supervisor to remedy. So can't do problems arise because I'm not clear what's expected of me. I'm not clear what the priorities are. I'm not clear what standard the supervisor is using Mm -hmm. in uh, assessing my performance. Uh, I don't have the resources to accomplish what's expected of me. I'm not getting the decisions quickly enough. I don't have enough authority, et cetera. Those are all things that the organization has a responsibility to remedy. So can't-do problems are those that the supervisor needs to focus on and solve. A won't-do problem is one where the employee has been given those basic requirements but is not performing for a variety of reasons. They're choosing, in essence, not to perform. It could be because they've lost motivation. It could be be because of problems they're having outside of work. It could be any number of things, but the challenge supervisors have is making that distinction, uh, stopping blaming themselves for the non-performance and really fixing the accountability back on the employee to succeed. Sure. That's something that often comes up. I formerly had a coworker, and she always said that she didn't think managers should be in charge of necessarily motivating uh, their direct reports. How do you feel about that as far as pushing them if they're not, they don't seem that motivated or they don't seem that interested in what they're doing? Where is that balance between the self-motivation versus what a manager should bring to the table? 
Well, I think your employee was largely right. I think motivation <laughs> is something that um, the the employee has a responsibility to bring to the table, and they do that when they're selecting the right job. What mm. what we're finding now is that employees are coming to work a more motivated than they were in previous generations, and b their motivations are different. They're actually looking for a sense of purpose in the work they're doing. That the work matters to society as a whole. It's not just about necessarily making money for the company or having a job per se. And they're also looking to achieve mastery as quickly as possible because they understand that that is the road to their own personal security is to be the best they can be at what they do. Sure. What I think the company's responsibility is is to create a culture in the organization that enables individuals to reach those goals. So if I don't have a trusting, collaborative, um, honest, and open culture in the organization, that's going to demotivate the workers. Or if I am not fair in exchanging with the employee for their contributions, that's going to demotivate the workers. And I think the organization is responsible for those areas. And a lot of this, as you note and we hear often as well, it comes down to communication, and that's a little bit of obviously where we're going with your book that has seven questions that managers should ask their direct reports. Uh, what would you say is the general theme or focus of these questions or the conversations in general that you think managers and direct reports should be having? The focus of it is that the leverage point for performance is not in – pushing the employees harder. By and large, 60 to 80% of the employees are already strongly motivated to be successful. Mm -hmm. So the leverage point, really, leverage point really lies in whether or not the supervisor is doing all they can to help them reach their goals. And the seven questions are designed as a checklist for, have I provided to you what you need in order to succeed? Generally, the employees sort of figure it out, but they don't have, you know, they figure out what's expected, what the supervisor is looking for, but they don't have a definitive answer to that that comes from the supervisor. And I think the supervisor is responsible to provide that early on so that they get to success quickly. So it's designed as a checklist on the supervisor as to whether or not they're doing a good job. And I think that there's more to be gained focusing there than there is on evaluating the performance of the employee. Sure. You know, we obviously don't want to give away all the questions on the show. Uh, that's what the point of the book is. But if you could maybe pick out a couple of the ones that you see as most beneficial, interesting, unique, that you think stand out, uh, which would you choose as far as being able to tell the listeners here today? Probably not being clear what the supervisor standard is for high performance. Hmm. So I may know that I'm expected to do a given task, but I don't know the picture that the supervisor has of what good performance on that tax task look like. And I don't find it out until the end of the annual evaluation, which is way too late. So what <laughs> it creates is resentment that, well, I would have succeeded a lot earlier had I known what your definition was. Another one is, does the organization give me the authority to exercise the responsibilities I'm given? And in the areas where I don't have authority, are they making the decisions 
rapidly enough uh, that I'm not being held back in my performance waiting for those decisions. So those are some of the ones that I would focus on. And I think you know, the first one you mentioned, I think, is spot on. Uh, you know, we hear about that a lot where, you know, people feel like they're doing the job they are required to do. But as you said, how do I get to that next level? I don't know what it looks like to be kind of that high performer, as we're talking about here. Uh, you did bring up the performance review, sort of the traditional annual or semi-annual performance review, and you touched briefly on one of the issues with that is it often just comes too late for any changes that would come into play. What are your other thoughts on the potential issues with these assessments, these conversations that happen just once or twice a year? Well, they're not, they're generally not two-way conversations. They're a one-way evaluation. I mean, in best practices, they're two-way, but they're largely viewed by the employee as a one-way top-down evaluation. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of research that shows that these not only don't add value in terms of raising performance, they actually are a demotivator. So General Electric, Deloitte, a number of the premier companies now have abandoned the annual evaluation and gone toward this more conversational approach to how do we partner to get to high performance. And it just takes all the anxiety out of that that exchange and starts building relationship, which is what you really need to partner to get to high performance. So I not only don't think the annual valuations are a good thing, I think they actually can have a negative impact. Wow. And again, as you said, there are a number of organizations that have moved away from them. And I think, you know, what you're bringing up there, I think that hopefully for our listeners out there who are in those positions, they at least think twice about what their system is exactly. How about in terms of compensation and maybe not just with the annual review, but in general, it is on employees' minds. I know and I agree with you that a lot of the motivation nowadays is less about the compensation, but it still exists. Where does that come into play with these conversations and performance? I guess, how do you view that side of it? Well, as I talk about in the book, I think at the end of the day, I mean, we all want to make more money. That's that's a given. Yeah, not bad. But <laughs> the question is, does, it, does the employee feel as if the exchange with them is fair? Is it fair relative to what his peers are making? Is it fair relative to what people in similar positions in other organizations are making? And is it fair in terms of what that employee is contributing to the success of the firm? And if it feels out exchange, meaning I'm giving more than I'm getting, mm-hmm. that's that's a demotivator. Compensation can't be is not a strong motivator the research shows but it can be a strong demotivator hmm. if it's perceived to be unfair that is interesting both sides of the coin there i appreciate you alluding to that part of it because again i think some people might not see it that way but just in the conversations with you i, I think it's a little bit uh, better understood in that case uh, we are getting a little low on time here bill but uh, i did want to just kind of give you the floor at the end, if you could give a general statement for those listening regarding the importance of communication or what they should focus on as a manager, what would you leave the listeners with here today? I would begin with the notion that supervision, as we've defined it, it comes from the early 20th century and is no longer suited for today's workplace. It's, it's defined as kind of an overseer of the worker. Uh, and it's based on a belief system that the workers are not going to perform well unless they have someone looking over their shoulder. And I think that's the wrong assumption going forward. I think we need to redefine supervision 
as more of a mentor or coach and less of an overseer. So I would leave with that. I think that's a perfect place to leave us here today. Bill, thank you very much for coming on, sharing your insight. We definitely appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. I enjoyed it. That is all the time we have for this edition of Employment Notebook in our conversation with William Dan, founder and president of Professional Growth Systems, as well as the author of Creating High Performers, Seven Questions to Ask Your Direct Reports. If you have any feedback on this or any of our shows, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also find us on Twitter, at the LJN, and you can locate all of our shows on iTunes. Just search LJN Radio. Thank you all again for joining us. I'm Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.